Well, I think when you know what it feels like to be in your parasympathetic nervous system, right? Like you have good practices in your free time, things that bring you joy, things that you feel balanced and happy with. Then when you're not in that system, you're kind of like, oh, okay, I feel that. Like normally our workplace, we move in and out of those two realms and we feel escalated stress. We start to get into our sympathetic nervous system. We start to feel a little defended. If we get good at recognizing what state am I in, then then we can actually look at that second state more objectively. And you, you can make a list. These are the things that move me into that red zone, into that zone that my hormones start to take over. Welcome to another episode of the Leading to Fulfillment podcast, where everything we talk about is meant to encourage people-first leaders, empower individuals to achieve fulfillment, and to help your organizations become places people love to work. I'm your host, James Laws, and I have a fun show in store for you. My guest for this episode is Christine Scott. Christine began her career in social service settings that could get hairy. She noticed in the heat of tough situations that she would either overreact or freeze and got curious if she could do better. This started a 20-year exploration that evolved into her becoming a conflict resolutionary who became a highly sought-after trainer. She teaches people how to reach in and not freak out when things get tough. She has been hired by clients like the Seattle Space Needle, Farmers Markets, and Office Teams, giving people what they need to be firm and friendly in the face of crisis. In my conversation with Christine, we discuss the journey from social services to conflict resolutionary, identifying and addressing conflict before it erupts, understanding the need for healthy conflict, and managing conflict from discovery to resolution. But first, I want to invite you to subscribe and leave a review for the Leading to Fulfillment podcast in your favorite podcast tool. tool. Those things really help us uh, get the show out to more people. You can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts on Spotify or even watch it over on YouTube. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Christine Scott. Christine, thank you so much for joining me on the Leading to Fulfillment podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here, James. I, I'm really excited today because one of the things that we're constantly working for, and one of the things that I'm constantly pushing for within my own business, and this podcast is a, a step to try to put it outside of my business, is creating a, a healthy work culture. And in, in the process of creating a healthy work culture, we acknowledge that conflicts are going to arise, no matter how healthy your culture is. Conflicts are ultimately going to arise, but you talk a lot about conflict. But before we jump right into that, I, I want to ask you: tell me a little bit about your journey from social services into what you call being a conflict resolutionary, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that story. Oh, thank you. Well, I was hired many years ago as an AmeriCorps to run a program for homeless young people. Our job was to give them dinner every night. And my first night there, <laughs> it was absolute chaos. My purse was stolen. My food volunteers were frightened. There were fights that were breaking out like every three minutes because there was this 14-year-old girl who was just all mouth and all problems, right? And there was about 50 homeless young people 
in the small church basement. And I just kind of looked at the situation and said, oh my gosh, AmeriCorps is only paying me $900 a month. <laughs> to do this. <laughs> I am I am not coming back. <laughs> and and then an interesting thing happened. This this voice rang out over the crowd and he said, Hey little bean, knock it off. You're messing it up for the whole burrito. And everything got quiet and people got manners and they started just like saying please and thank you. And I got really curious, like, wait a minute. That one phrase, that one person shifted the whole dynamic in this room. How did that happen? How are these guys accountable to each other? Because everything I was seeing was telling me, like, these guys are out of control and I'm going to get hurt, and right? <laughs> and and so so my white lady from the suburbs, like, had a, had a major lesson that day, and I started realizing there's something about street culture and about how these guys take care of each other that I don't understand. So I stuck around, and they became some of my greatest teachers. And I continued to provide social services, including shelters and group homes. But I started leaning into what was going on for them and getting their advice about how to handle stuff because they were living it. They were living in conflict every day. Yeah. And so I started like translating their lessons into like what I consider like housed housed normative speak <laughs> so that so that other people could could learn from those lessons. I started training our volunteers and how to handle conflict. And then other agencies contacted me like, hey, can you try train my staff, too? And it just grew into this this bigger cause Um and, you know, now I train the staff at the Space Needle, for example. It's just like become this <laughs> become this thing that's so much larger than social services, much more about how conflict is that opportunity for us to be completely raw and honest with each other. It's the time that we're not correct. We're not polite. We're not nice. We're vulnerable. And powerful stuff happens then. You know, as I hear you talking about conflict and, and thinking about that early situation, that for that kind of first initial experience, it's that's one of those situations where kind of conflict kind of hits you in the face, right? It's like you couldn't you couldn't avoid the conflict. The conflict was coming at you full force. And yet, as I talk about building healthy cultures, a lot of times there's conflict brewing and people in the organization aren't even aware of it, or at least many times the leaders aren't aware of it. What is, how can we get better at identifying conflicts early so that we can deal with them? Because I, I know from personal experience, right, that the longer you let conflict fester, the longer you let it grow, the longer you go with it unaddressed, the worse it becomes. And if you deal with it quickly, if you deal with it early, you can avoid some of that. But that's challenging. What are some better ways? What are ways we can start to identify conflicts in our organizations? I think a lot of that depends on what is your supervising and listening culture, right? If, if your supervisor is the only one you're accountable to, there will, there will be conflict. <laughs> Just like it, we, when we become bosses, all of our best selves and all of our worst selves get magnified right? Are the things that we don't know yet become bigger? The things that we're good at become bigger because we have this responsibility and we have this stage. 
Um, and I would say poor personnel management is the number one source of conflict. Like before the pandemic, you ask people who are leaving their their organization, like, why did you leave? 35% of them said poorly handled conflict. Yeah. And most of that was with their direct supervisors. And most folks, you know, that are being evaluated only by this one person and um, really feel like they're being hemmed in only by this one person um, are going to have conflict with that. And it's interesting, like you ask people after the Great Recession and after, you know, the pandemic, like, well, why did you leave? And, and the data now is money, flexibility, and I don't feel respected. And I don't feel respected is actually number two on the main reasons why people are leaving. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We talk, you know, a lot of times we talk about people don't necessarily leave, leave bad companies. They leave bad leaders, bad managers. And, and I heard someone say, and I agree with this concept too. It's not even that they, they leave companies that tolerate bad managers and bad mm-hmm. leaders. And don't you ever try to correct it? Don't ever try to get into the conflict and say, what's going on? But you said something early on that I thought was interesting. You says, it depends on who you are accountable to. And if you're only accountable to that one manager, you are going to have conflict. I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit more mm-hmm. and say, who, how should accountability look in an organization and a team to to mitigate perhaps or catch mm-hmm. conflict early so that it can be addressed? What do you recommend for structure like that? I recommend 360 evals where people are accountable to everybody, the people they supervise, to the people they work laterally with. Um, because when you have somebody who's traditionally like a bully, they can charm the socks off of their direct supervisor and then treat everybody below them like crap. Um, and studies done on bullying in the workplace actually find it's more common to occur than sexual harassment. But we don't really talk openly about that because we, you know, build these these organizational charts that is very top down. Um, and what's interesting is you and I, like the people who are a part of of the Gen X generation, right? We we were supervised by the boomers, and so. We have this choice now, like, are we going to take all of that really top down and that, you know, the, the person in charge is always right kind of crap, or are we going to listen to the wisdom of these younger generations that are coming up under us? And these are the ones that are quitting. These are the ones that are saying, hey, I don't deserve this, right? These are the ones that are redefining what's, what a good and healthy workplace looks like. Um, And when we have the authority to not listen to them and choose to not listen to them, it it just feels like the pandemic has, has made us have to stop and think like, um, maybe we should. Cause like, look at this data on (laughs) the folks that are quitting and going to these other jobs. I think you're right. I think they are following leaders that, that can really respect them. So, so 360 evals, big, big help. Um, Employee ombudsman, so you have a place to go and talk when you have a complaint, right? Um, and using conflict as a tool for constant improvement. Okay, so something's brewing. Here's what we learned. Here's what we're going to change. Did we get that right? Like everybody's got their fingerprints on kind of doing an autopsy about this conflict. And you're right. you gotta, you got to lean in quickly and, and just understand when there's a morale issue or there's some something brewing between employees 
It's not about right, wrong, blame, shame. It's about like, there's something going on here that we have to look at. Um, and I know I used to run nonprofits for a living and I would, my, my first go-to was we need to write better policies <laughs> and it would never work. Right. All of that, all of that carefully crafted, beautiful language would just sit on the shelf and people would still do what they were going to do. You have to yeah. really, really have folks that are tuned into people's experience, what's going on with them emotionally, what's going on with the social norms. Um, one of the things that I, I have this new definition of power that really helps me as I look at dynamics and I talk to employers, and that is that we all have power that's wrapped in kind of this, this thing called, called rank that's wrapped in this thing called status, right? And when we are in the workplace, our status is what people see, our job title, our place in the, you know, the hierarchy. But our power is something we all have that a good leader will really draw out of us. Our power is basically those places that we were wounded and then we've put them to work to become stronger and better people. But we get confused because we also have this rank thing where, you know, owning class folks and white clothes white folks and all that stuff, you know, we, we get too endeared with those types of um, hierarchies and the, and the positional hierarchy. And we stop really pulling out people's power. No, I, I, I love that. I, it's, I just talked about this in a previous episode and this is something that we kind of, we kind of poke at a lot is that like when we hire people on our team, we're hiring people, not positions. Mm-hmm. We're hiring the the totality of who this person is and their experiences. That means we're hiring their their drama, their trauma, their everything that they've gone through. And in order for them to be a a a the right person in the company, they have to be able to bring their whole self, every part of it. We don't leave our personal lives at the door. We bring it in fully because. I hired part of like part who you are mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. all of these things. And I need to bring all that in and, and really embrace the, the, the fullness of who every team member is and what they bring to the organization. It's what makes us more diverse. It what's makes us more have, uh, it closes, you know, the, the information gaps, the knowledge gaps is we have more people and we fill that in. It's kind of like a strainer. It closes, starts to close up all those little gaps because we have different people with different experiences, different trauma, different yeah. lifestyles. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting to think about that as we're hiring. Uh, and in fact, in some ways, and I, I wonder what your take is on this. I, I would, while I would say in a healthy work culture, you know, you're, you're bound to have conflict. Conflict isn't necessarily bad. Sometimes you need conflict in order to make good decisions, in order to get more information, get all the information out. And if you are hiring a diverse work culture, the goal is to create more conflict in your organization. Tell me what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah, it's how the conflict is handled. Exactly. That if you have everybody responding to the same norms and the same rules and the same conduct level, um, you, you know, you're not going to have a very dynamic and flexible and adaptive team. They're going to just re, re, be this echo chamber, <laughs> right? So, so you want to actually have a space that holds conflict safely and in a way that encourages individuals to, to like 
speak pretty authentically. Um, yeah, I, I, I was thinking back of reading Patrick Lencioni's book, Death by Meetings. And if you have, you know, anyone who hasn't read it, definitely you should read it. But one of his points is the reason our meetings are terrible and the reasons our meetings are boring is because we, as the facilitators, as the leaders of those meetings, don't spend enough time mining for the conflict. Like mm-hmm. the goal should be, I know everyone sitting at this table doesn't agree on this topic. So how mm-hmm. do I get you to talk about your disagreements so that we can not get consensus, but so we can get the best information and then yeah. ultimately still have to make a decision that's going to mm-hmm. be flawed, right? It's going to lean one way or the other. It's somebody's still not going to agree with the decision, but at least all the conflict was heard. It was all brought to the surface and we mm-hmm. made a decisions with the knowledge of that conflict, not void of, of hearing every voice. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I know um, in my career, I definitely went from being conflict avoided to, to con- uh, conflict lover. Um, it's, it's just that place where we, we feel strongly enough about something that, that our raw honesty can show up. And once people have that permission to, to do that with each other, it changes teams. There's much more of a lean in. There's much more engagement. I, you know, it's funny. I think of a, I have a particular team member. Uh, and as I talk about this person, this person knows exactly who I'm talking about if they're, as they listen to this, that we have conflict all the time. We see the world differently. We approach problems differently. And so when we are talking about a feature in a piece of software or we're talking about a process or a system that we need to develop or any of those things, many times we will butt heads and we can argue and we can argue loudly and boisterous, but we walk away knowing, and I think this is an important part of this too, is that we've cultivated a relationship where our arguments are a safe place. Mm -hmm. I I'm okay with the fact that they disagree with me. They are okay with the fact that I disagree with them. And we come at it from very different perspectives. I come at it with a lot of gut and heart, and he comes at it with a lot of reasoning and rationale and what he thinks, you know, what he thinks are the numbers to that situation. Mm -hmm. And I have to respect that. Yeah. Even though I may still disagree with that, but I, I was just, you know, as you talk about that, I think about the dynamics of, of conflict in our teams and, that's a situation. But I had another person who it wasn't respectful. Mm. It wasn't mutual. There was this kind of in the midst of the conflict, you heard the tone. I don't respect you as a leader. I don't respect your opinion. I think you are just wrong. And not because we don't see it the same way, but because I think you are fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it was a different dynamic. And so I, I guess one of the things I, I wonder while we think conflict is is healthy, we ought to mine for conflict. We ought to look for conflict. We, we ought to cre- create organizations where conflict is a safe norm. Eventually, the conflict has to resolve. Yep. We have to kind of get to the end and say, you know, we had our debate. We had our arguments. We were loud. We were boisterous. We were emotional. We, we brought all the information. What's your recommendation of taking all of that volatility, all of that, that, energy and emotion and bringing it to resolution. What, how do you recommend in a good meeting where there is that kind of argument and, the, and you want a little bit of that, how do you bring that to closure? How do you bring that to, to resolution? Well, first off, the people who are agreeing to have this conflict need to have some internal skills where they're showing up 
without their um, mammal running the show. <laughs> so that's what I that's what I do with a lot of my. I mean, that's a core part of my training is helping people de-escalate themselves, so that they can show up from you know scientifically, this is called your parasympathetic nervous system, like the part of you that can receive new information, consider multiple perspectives, knows that nothing is going to hurt you, right? Like that part needs to show up. Um, but there's been some studies that show that if I say, hey, James, you're a bad boss, that there's a, a part of you that responds to that is actually the same part that responds to this tiger is going to eat me, right? Because sure. this, is a, this is a threat to your status and a threat to your rank within that situation. And our, our uh, not so evolved self in our brain actually interprets that as a threat to your life. So you could have this conflict response that's really unreasonable, right? Because when our mammal cells show up, we either go too big or too small. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's no working with somebody who's in that mode. They're not rational. They're not receiving new information. And they're looking for the thing that's going to kill them, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so it, you, you just have to acknowledge that once that mechanism's been triggered, they're pretty worthless for about 20 minutes. And nothing, nothing good is going to come out of it. They pretty much need to be removed from the situation, given a chance to calm down. And it needs to come up when folks have those skills around how to de-escalate themselves first. That's interesting. So it feels like, you know, in a lot of those situations, someone, I don't want to say someone has to be the adult because I don't want to demean the other people in those conversations, but somebody has to be mature enough to recognize I've been triggered. Uh-huh. they've been triggered, and we're going to pause this conversation. We're going to take a 20, 30-minute break. We're going to come back at it tomorrow. We're going to reschedule this meeting and start over or start where we left off mm-hmm. with fresh heads, fresh minds, and, and perspectives. Uh, and I, I, can, I can definitely think in my, you know, in my long history, the times where I have failed at that and the times where I have succeeded at that. And mm-hmm. yeah, walking away, taking a step back. What you don't want, you talk about, right? They, they either overreact or they underreact, right? They, yep. they either get really big and they, they dig their heels in and they basically stop listening and just say, it's my way. My way mm-hmm. is the right way. And they stop listening. Mm-hmm. Or they just shut succeed, down. they just shut down and be like, whatever, yeah. do whatever you want. And I have seen myself respond both of those ways in my lifetime, right? I've seen mm-hmm. those responses where I dig in or I'm just like, you know what? Do what you want. I don't even care anymore. Like, and neither yeah. of those are healthy approaches. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and yet we fall to that all the time. Um, I do. I love the idea of, you know, obviously building that maturity. How do you develop that in team members? How do you develop that, that knowledge that se- some of it is security, right? Mm-hmm. Some of it is a security in themselves, we're ultimately, you know, at my company and circles.com, what we're trying to espouse is helping our team members who work within our organizations find true fulfillment. I think part of my answer to this might be that if you get, if you can f- help your team members find true fulfillment, those little jabs that otherwise would trigger them, don't trigger them as much because they love what they're doing. They believe what they do matters and they know the impact they have on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, all right, I get it. We're upset, right? But let's uh, let's step back. But what are some thoughts you have on how do you develop those, I don't even know, I don't know if you call those soft skills, right? Mm-hmm. To just be able to recognize this has gone too far and yeah. we need to step away. Well, 
I think when you know what it feels like to be in your parasympathetic nervous system, right? Like you have good practices in your free time, things that bring you joy, things that you feel balanced and happy with. Then when you're not in that system, you're kind of like, oh, okay, I feel that. Like normally our workplace, we move in and out of those two realms and we feel escalated stress. We start to get into our sympathetic nervous system. We start to feel a little defended. If we get good at recognizing what state am I in, then then we can actually look at that second state more objectively. And you, you can make a list. These are the things that move me into that red zone, into that zone that my hormones start to take over. Um, like for me, I, I could name that list and I got better and better to the point where I used to be peripheral to those situations. Like somebody, you know, waving a knife used to just really freak me out, as you can imagine, right? <laughs> when I was, I think that's a natural response. That's a natural <laughs> response, right? Um, but I got exposed to a lot at shelter so that I could keep on moving myself closer and closer to things that used to just shut me down because I had the awareness like, okay, so what does this remind me of what's really going on? And I got better at situations that used to just terrify me because I had the awareness about what was really going on. What, what is the message that I'm receiving right now? Because the places that we have that Velcro, that we have those places that somebody just knows how to push our buttons those are just signs that something needs to happen in our in our personal life around some healing, maybe some childhood stuff, maybe some associations we have or bad bad messages that we've internalized that we just have to exercise. Um, our bodies are very consistent little robots to tell us exactly where we need to do our work, right? Like it's it's amazing how trauma works. We just will always have those buttons. And when we address those, guess what? We'll find some new ones. <laughs> and that's a part of the that's a part of the path. That's why I call it becoming a conflict resolutionary because it's 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 a journey. You know, it, you t- you talk about and, and you mentioned that some of the things that trigger us, uh, you know, and I think about as kids when we were young and we found ourselves in conflict with our friends uh, or our, not our friends. Um, we knew how to push buttons. We knew how to, we knew exactly, you know, kids are, kids are so perceptive. Mm -hmm. Like they, they know that they know how to cut you like where it really, really, really hurts. And they, we were, that we were masters at it as children. And as adults, I think even when we do find ourselves in conflict, we do find ourselves getting triggered. Sometimes the reaction is to trigger them back is to try to figure out how do I get you back, get you in the same irrational headspace that I'm in. I wonder, you mentioned one of those, right? Like when somebody says you're a bad boss or you're a bad manager or whatever, right? What are some of the other trigger words or phrases that make conflicts worse rather than help them move towards perhaps a healthy resolution that you've experienced in in communication? Well, of course, anytime you make it personal, right? Anytime you make it about the other person, it's it's going in the wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I would, I would also say that when you really notice that you're pulling on the, the, the people in the room as a way to like build, build your audience and build your case, um, that's also <laughs> a bad sign. Um, when, when you start grouping and lumping people on one side of an issue or another side of an issue, um, yeah. you know, that, that tends to, um, 
explode fast. Yeah, I, I, you know, as you say that, I can think of times where unintentionally, certainly not a tactic that I was thinking, but I, I certainly can see in my situation where I start, where I think I have a valid opinion and I think there are others on my side and I start to pull them in like I'm picking a kickball team yep. and I've pulled them in on my side, which then alienates the other person and makes them feel like they have to defend themselves because now they're mm-hmm. fighting more people. It's not just one-to-one dialogue. It's mm-hmm. now it's a fight. It's the sharks and the jets, right? Like right. There's now, now it's a gang war. Yep. Uh, and so I, I can definitely see how that, how that can have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, as- the, other, the other thing I want folks to watch for is black and white thinking. Okay. Anytime, anytime the nuance leaves the room, you're in trouble. Um, we tend to get very like, well, it's got to be like this. And if you don't see it, you're like that. You know, we start oh, yeah. labeling and, and entrenching. Uh, yeah. That's I mean, that's and, – and sadly, right, on, because of the, the media and social media and the actual news – that's what we are inundated with all the time is mm-hmm. these absolute positions. You know, you think about the, the arguments between Republicans and Democrats and the, the religious and the non-religious and the, and there's, everyone is so built on these absolutes. I, I was just having a conversation with my wife about this very topic. I said, the biggest problem with social media and everyone's opinion is the fact that they are too caught up in, they are absolutely right, which means the other person is absolutely evil. Like they just immediately cast and paint them with this broad brush of, I think this under all circumstances, no matter what, even if I don't fully understand the situation and therefore you are bad and evil. And I think that's where this kind of cancel culture kind of comes around with, right? We want to want to cancel people because we have brushed them absolutely with a stroke. Well, you believe this thing that I deeply disagree with, therefore you must be bad. You don't think about the fact, well, you know, culturally they were raised a certain way and they may not think this thing because they are bad people or they are hateful. They may believe this thing because they were raised and conditioned to believe a thing. And the worst thing we do, and this I think comes really good to conflict resolution, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The worst thing we do with cancel culture is we shut down the conflict. We shut down the conversation Mm -hmm. and nobody changed because we just decided to stop talking to each other. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of big conversations we need to have right now, conversations about race, conversations about democracy, conversations about how we see ourselves, as you're mentioning, in the workplace. And we don't have the skills or the tools in a lot of places to to have those conversations safely because we have this structure that's kind of built into our society right now, especially in social media, that gets money from this dichotomy. This dichotomy is actually making Facebook profits, right? Is actually making, so so we aren't really unwrapping that. We aren't really seeing like, oh, there's there's a reason for civility <laughs> mm-hmm. that we might want to like look at. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I hate to say it because it, it feels so, it feels so cynical and it feels so almost conspiracy theorists in a way. But the truth is we're all being programmed all the time. Every single day we're being programmed on, on our own side or against our side or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been enough studies to show that if you if somebody watches the other news channel that they don't otherwise watch, 
for long enough, they will start to espouse those opinions because they are being inundated with that mm-hmm. logic. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden it becomes clear. And Facebook is a perfect example of that. When your Facebook friends all share the same information and share the same stuff, you start to believe that as yep. the absolute truth. And, yep. and it doesn't matter which side you're on on that. It happens. We're all being programmed. And so figuring out how to not, I like, I liked your, your mammal self, how not to let your mammal self like take over in that situation and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, one of the, one of the triggers of absolute always, right? If somebody's always or never, always uh-huh. or never, that's a pretty big red flag in conversation for me that says you've not spent enough time with this topic if it's always or never, uh, right. because it rarely is anything always and never. Yeah. Yep, you're exactly right. Uh, Christine, I really love this conversation and kind of processing and thinking through conflict. I want to give you the last word and people who want to get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing and how to contact you. uh, Where can they do that? Or if there's anything that I should have asked you that I did not (laughs) ask you and you'd like to share, I'd love to hear about that as well. Um, I just really want people to know that the fact that they believe they suck at conflict is not their fault. Like don't don't take on that mantle. Just understand you have this thing called biology and sociology that's working against you. And get really curious about where are your opportunities to do better, to kind of name those triggers and learn from them and lean in so that you can hold on to conflict with with without it like poking you. <laughs> Just think of it like a like um kind of holding space for things to be a little uncomfortable. And that that's where your growing edge is when it's a little uncomfortable. Uh, strong, strong advice. I think we know this in physical as well, right? The, you work out, you work yourself out to the point of ex- to strong, you go a little bit harder, you push yourself to a little bit more comfortable, a little more weight than you're used to, a little run a little longer than you're used to, a little farther than you're used to. All of those things push you to grow, get stronger and better at it. And so even in the midst of conflict, uh, recognize that, that that conflict is making you stronger and making you better as you face it and, and work towards resolving it. Uh, Christine, thank you. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, um, my website is seattleconflictresolution.com. So they are welcome to hit me up there. Uh, I really look forward to hearing from folks and, and I do uh, work remotely uh, so folks don't have to be in Seattle to work with me. Awesome. Christine, thank you again so much for being on the Leading to Fulfillment podcast and having this great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I want to thank Christine for a great discussion around the topic of conflict, and I hope you got as much out of it as I did. Everything we mentioned, including a full transcript of the show, is available over on our website, and you can access it anytime by visiting leadingtofulfillment.com slash 023. Also on that website, you can subscribe to our newsletter there. We'll let you know every time a new episode becomes available, as well as send you original and curated content on leadership, managing teams, and finding fulfillment. This episode, we focus exclusively on managing conflict. Great communication is one of the most important skills to being successful at work and at conflict. And as many of us work from home, good communication becomes even more important. With that in mind, I'd like to share with you my six rules of great communication. Number one, assume the best. 
How you begin a conversation can make or break it. Why not start that dialogue off with some positive energy? Whether you're starting the discussion or someone else has kicked it off, step into it assuming that all parties are on the same side. On the same side doesn't mean in total agreement. It means you all want to get an outcome that is best for the group, project, or challenge you are facing. Of course, this doesn't mean that you allow anyone to be abusive. The The purpose here is to understand uh, that points contra to your perspective aren't necessarily hostile. Number two, seek to understand. Your first reaction should never be a counterpoint should be thoughtful questions that demonstrate curiosity. The goal isn't to be right. The goal is to discover what's possible, to get clarity on the subject and the possible perspectives. The goal is to learn how everyone else sees the particular matter. Number three, slow it down. When we slow conversations down, we're showing that we respect the topic and the people enough to take our time and not just regurgitate our already formed opinions. You may still end up there, but at least you put in the work. Number four, don't take it personally. How you manage the outcomes from a discussion is just as much a part of being a great team uh, communicator as other things that we've covered. If If you take things personally and you continue to debate once the decision has been made, it not only shows you don't respect the people who made the decision, but it harms your future interactions with the team. Number five, be okay to walk away. This is not the same as running away from conflict. You are not permanently avoiding this conversation. You're simply taking a respite so you can gain clearer perspective. If the matter is resolved before you return, please don't take it personally. Number six, study past conversations. Take the time to learn what does and doesn't work for you and your team. Share your insights with them. Grow together. And if they don't listen, don't take it personally. And remember that you're only responsible for how you communicate. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join me on the next episode. And until then, may your businesses be successful as you lead your teams to fulfillment.